Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Hey, fantastic. Wonderful. So I used to live with a guy called Pete um, at university. It was one of those things where, you know, you arrive, you get put in with a whole bunch of people you've never met before, um, which is a bit hit and miss. And I got landed with Pete, or rather he got landed with me. um, And uh, I lived with him for a whole year. And we were not natural people to live together. We didn't get on all that well. He was very different to me. Pete was a massive northern rugby player. And I not. Um, and uh, we, we didn't get on that well. Not because he was a rugby player, to be clear. I'm okay with rugby players. It's worth clarifying that because I don't want to annoy any rugby players since you could cause me a lot of damage. Um, and it wasn't also a problem that he was northern. I've got no issues with northern people. <laughs> worth clarifying that for the same reason. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I might not make it out here alive. Um, <laughs> Pete and I didn't get on that well. And uh, one of the things that Pete did, which really annoyed me, was this. He was actually not only just a rugby player, he was the social secretary of the rugby club. And he loved to find any excuse for them all just to go out drinking and having fun. And, and one of the things that I particularly dreaded was the day that someone wanted to join the rugby club. Because Pete uh, would have this initiation ritual that he would enforce as if it had all the force of the law behind him. And basically what would happen is the new recruit would dress up in their rugby gear and a pink tutu for some bizarre reason. They would spend the entire evening out in the bars on campus drinking copious amounts of beer, probably from each other's boots or something uncouth like that. And then the culmination of the ritual was this. At 3 a.m., they would burst into our house unannounced. They would pile into the bathroom, which was right next to my bedroom. They would take the potential new recruit and they would flush his head I don't need to finish that sentence, do I? They would flush it, I will. They would flush his head in the toilet of our bathroom. 3 a.m., waking me up. It was not pleasant. It was quite peculiar. Why do I tell you that story? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I found it really bizarre for two reasons. Like, firstly, the same reason you're feeling it bizarre. Like, has this guy never heard of hygiene? That is pretty disgusting. I mean, he should have just told me it was coming. I would have cleaned the bathroom for him. Poor guy. The main reason I found it baffling was this. I could see no connection whatsoever between the ritual that he put them through and the idea of playing rugby. No connection at all between the tutu, the drinking, the toilet thing. No connection at all. I could see no correspondence between the game of rugby and the thing you did to get into the team that got to play the game of rugby. It seemed completely arbitrary, completely disconnected. And actually, at the same time as living with Pete, I was starting to consider whether I really wanted to be a follower of Jesus. I'd been to church all my life, um, so I kind of thought I probably was, but I was at that phase where I was thinking, well, maybe actually this was just a family childhood thing, and now I'm going to move on from that. So I was trying to weigh up, do I really believe this? Do I really want to follow Jesus for myself? And I came to the conclusion I probably did, and someone said to me, hey, you should get baptised. And I was like, I don't really know what this baptism thing is. Tell me. I mean, I'd been christened as a tiny little baby, and I didn't have much memory of that, but I had never seen an adult get baptized. So I asked my friend, describe what this baptism thing is. And they told me how they did it in their church, which is very similar to how we do it here, actually. They have a service like that, this, we worship, we hear a talk, and then there'd be this pool on the stage, and then a fully grown, fully dressed, fully consenting adult uh, would climb into the pool, kneel down, put their hands over their chest like that, and then two people who presumably were their friends would push them under the water 
and then pull them back up again and everyone would go wild. And my friend said, would you like to do that? And I was like, no. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? In fact, I felt pretty similarly about that to how I felt about Pete's baptism in our bathroom, if I can put it like that. Like, why on earth would I want to do that? And more importantly, why on earth would God want me to do that? In order to say, hey, I'm in, I'm part of the team of Christianity. Why would he want me to be put underwater? I could see no link whatsoever between the initiation ceremony and the thing I was being initiated into. It was completely baffling. Maybe some of you feel the same way. We are going to be doing baptisms in a few weeks' time. Actually, baptism Sundays now are one of my favourite things about church. On the 14th of May, we will be having a Love London Sunday where we'll be gathering people together from all our four different services across the city. Here at the Mermaid Theatre, there'll be loads of information about all that's going to happen on that day coming soon. But one of the things we're going to do is that very thing. We're going to have a pool on the stage and we are going to celebrate baptisms. And we would love it if dozens and dozens of people decided to get baptised that day. Our invitation to you is, if you've not yet been baptised, would you consider baptism that day? But I also know, as well as there being lots of people here who've never been baptised, there are probably lots of people here who feel the same way that I did. Like, no, why would I want to do that? What is this baptism thing about? Why would I want to be thrust underwater? Can't God just know I'm all in without that ritual? So we wanted to take a moment just today to explain a bit about baptism. I've been here since 2009. We talk about baptism from time to time, but I don't think I've ever actually heard a full sermon on it. So we wanted to do that this morning and explain what baptism is, why it's relevant, and why we think it's a good thing for all of us to do. And it may well be, actually, that you're here as someone today who has already been baptised. And at this point, you're like, great, this isn't for me. I can zone out for the next half an hour or so. No, you can't. I'm watching. And Jesus is watching. And... (laughs) And also, I would put it to you that baptism is a powerful thing for all of us, whether we have already been baptised or whether we've not yet been baptised. I've been married for nearly 10 years. I go to a lot of weddings, and there's always a point in a wedding ceremony where the vicar says, let me explain what marriage is, and then they take the couple through a load of vows. And at that point, I don't just check out and go, well, that's not for me. I've already done this marriage thing, got it nailed. I, I, I find it a profound moment of the service where I am watching a couple take the next step in their relationship in a profound and meaningful way. And when I hear the explanation of marriage and I hear the vows they make, actually it makes me think, am I living in the good of the vows I made 10 years ago? I found wedding ceremonies a profound way to reassess and reaffirm the vows that I have made in my own heart. And I think baptism is the same. When we see people take that new step in their relationship with God, it's an opportunity for those of us who may have done the exact same thing decades ago to say, am I living in the good of the promises I made in baptism and the promises God makes to me? So whether you are baptised or not, I hope that today will be helpful. What is baptism? How is it relevant? How does the water thing at all correspond to what it means to follow Jesus? Well, actually, I would put it to you that unlike the rugby ceremony baptism thing, Christian baptism is the most appropriate way to signify the start of your journey of faith. Why? Because I think it directly corresponds to the very heart of the Christian message. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. (coughs) For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. What Paul is saying is that in baptism, we are actually reenacting what it means to be a Christian. The lowering into the water symbolizes our identification with the death and burial of Jesus. The raising up again from the water symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus. When we get baptized, we actually reenact the story of Jesus. But actually, I don't think the word reenact is quite right because it's deeper than that. It's not just a play where we go here, look, this is what happened to Jesus. We don't simply tell his story. We actually demonstrate that we believe that his story has somehow become true of us as well. We identify ourselves with the story of Jesus. Let me try and illustrate this. In a, it's a silly kind of illustration, but it may help. Uh, how many of you are football fans? A few of you. Chelsea doesn't count. Um, (laughs) Actually, I suddenly realised how many Chelsea fans there are in the room. Wow, I'm really not getting out of here alive. But if I were to talk to you, in fact, not just football, any sports uh, teams, if I were to talk to you about a sports team and I were to ask you, how was the game yesterday? Typically, the conversation might go something like this, depending on which team you support. You'd probably say, oh yeah, it was a great game yesterday. We won 3-0. We had about 70% of the possession. We ran circles around them. Not all the decisions went in our favour, but we left with three points at the end of the game. That kind of thing. And I might stop you partway through that description and say, sorry, just just to clarify for a moment, how many minutes of the game did you play? (laughs) And you'd probably go, none. I was sitting on my sofa eating potato chips while watching the game. I didn't play the game. Why? I said, well, you keep using the language of we. Like, we won 3-0. We had 70% of the position. We left with three points. What role did you play in the game? And of course, you play no role in the game, but there's this weird kind of thing that we do where it's like we put on the replica kit and suddenly we own the victory, though we played no part in it. We so identify ourselves with the team that when they have a victory, we feel like we have it as well. I wasn't around in 1966. Many people in this room beyond the first row were not around in 1966. (laughs) Might as well keep digging. And yet most English people in the room would probably say, we won the World Cup, despite the fact not only did I have nothing to do with it, I wasn't even born. I didn't live 2,000 years ago. Most people be on the first road. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) leave. Oh, gosh. That wasn't even in my notes. I just thought it was fine. I didn't live 2,000 years ago. I've never died on a cross. I've never been buried in a grave. I've never risen again from the dead. And yet in baptism, it's like in a weird kind of way, I put on the replica kit and I say, that victory is mine, though I played no part in it. Baptism is not just about retelling a story that's disconnected from us. It's about saying, I am exchanging my stories in the water of baptism so that what was true of Jesus in his death and his resurrection becomes true in my burial and raising again. Baptism is a powerful demonstration and identification of us with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the passage we just read suggests two elements to the story of Jesus that link with baptism. The first is this. Paul writes, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we are lowered into the water in baptism, we identify ourselves with the death and burial of Jesus. 
which seems quite a morbid thing to do on a day full of celebration. Why is the death of Jesus significant? The American president, Benjamin Franklin, famously quipped that in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Whilst Jesus sadly doesn't rescue us from taxation, he does come to rescue us from the certainty that all of us must face of death. In fact, one way of reading the Bible is that it is all about God railing against the curse of death in his world. At the beginning of the Bible, he created humanity, male and female, to live life to the full in relationship with him. You read the early chapters and it seems like these people are living a life full of harmony and purpose and meaning, fulfillment, love, acceptance, life to the full. But very quickly, chapter 3, mankind, humanity, start to go their own way, disobeying God. And what happens? Death comes into the world. I'm not just talking about physical death, although I think that is the final symptom of it, but it's the final symptom of a broad-ranging problem of decay that runs through all creation as humanity decides not to follow God's way, but to follow our own ways. The world is infused with death. Death is the exact opposite of the life to the full that God created us for. And we experience and taste something of that death in all of our lives. In every time we experience broken relationships, with the habits we can't break, with the guilt and the shame that we can't shake, every time we feel unloved or unlovable or lonely or lost as something of that death, when we do things we come to regret, when we hurt others through our actions that we know deep down are wrong, when we fail to live up to our own moral code, let alone one that a perfect creator God might have for us, these are symptoms of death, the opposite of the life to the full for which God created us. The world is broken. And if we're honest, I think we would all admit that we have all played a part, no matter how small, in bringing some of that brokenness into the world. It's the spread of death. But rather than saying distant and God saying, well, I'm not having anything to do with these people who want nothing to do with me. Rather, God decided to do something about the creep of death throughout his creation. He stepped into this world, took on flesh, immersed himself in our death-infused world so he could rescue us. And he literally experienced death in our place. Now, I don't know how you feel about that idea. The idea of Jesus dying in our place. It's a confusing one. I remember actually my first year of university grappling with someone and talking about all my questions. I said, what does it mean for Jesus to die in my place? That feels like a weird thing. And lots of the answers I got, I didn't find very satisfying. I found the metaphors that people gave me got some of the way, but not the whole way. And one of the things you may have heard, uh, someone explain it to me like this. Um, It's kind of helpful, but kind of unhelpful. They said, imagine that you were in a courtroom scenario. You'd been found guilty of a particular crime and the judge issues the sentence and then someone stands up and says, I will pay that sentence in his place. He can go free. That's what Jesus has done for us. And I kind of thought, okay, that makes sense in some ways. It gets us some of the way, but actually I found it a very confusing metaphor. Why? Because it works in certain scenarios. I mean, imagine if I had run up a 60-pound parking fine or something like that, and one of you kind people said, I will pay the 60-pound parking fine on your behalf. That's one thing. Incidentally, I haven't run up a 60-pound parking fine, but if you preemptively want to give me 60 pounds, I'm fine with that. You can do that. But broaden it out to something more serious. Say I'd committed some kind of violent crime, and I was given the punishment of uh, a few years in prison. 
And then one of you, for some bizarre reason, stood up and said, I will go to prison instead. Let him go free. No judge in their right mind is going to let me do that, are they? Why? Because justice will not be done. An innocent man will be punished for something he was utterly disconnected for, and I will still be allowed to be a menace to society in the illustration, which is not based in fact at all. <laughs> like, that's actually not a very just way for the judge to work. I don't think that quite gets to the heart of what it means when Jesus stands in our place. I think it's something deeper than that. And I think one of the reasons that that metaphor only gets us part of the way is because it only focuses on one person exchanging their life for one other person. Whereas actually, I think Jesus' death is more to do, deal with something of the problem for all of humanity in one go. In his brilliant book, uh, The Pursuing God, Joshua Ryan Butler um, writes about this idea. And he says that, um, that the way to understand Jesus dying in our death, is, uh, dying in our place, is to do with the idea of corporate identity. He said in the ancient world, when you thought about corporations, you didn't think of companies like kind of Apple or Starbucks or Amazon, anyone like that. Actually, it was more to do with a nation, maybe, or a people group. The word corporal, it means a body. So in the ancient way of thinking, you would have a body that was a nation or a people group. So Israel was a body. Rome was a body. And just as a literal body has a literal head, so too a corporation, a body, would have a head, a representative, who would be held to account for the actions of the body. So Rome was the body, the head was Caesar. Humanity is a body, the head of which, biblically speaking, was Adam. And Joshua Ryan Butler says that when God looks down at humanity... Essentially, he sees this body, not just one individual, this huge body riddled with death. And it's a death that they experience because of their head, the actions of the original representative. And in order to do something about it without just wiping away the debt, which would be an act of injustice, God decides to send a new head, a new Adam, a new representative and Butler says this, during the US housing crisis, there was anger at the practices of many corporations whose greed and corruption caused the spread of death, not only through their industries, but throughout the nation and the continent. Now imagine Jesus had been installed as the new CEO of one of the corporations guilty of the crisis. He uses the example of Bank of America. Uh, there are many examples we could use in their context and in our context. Um, but they actually had to pay more than $17 billion in damages uh, after that crisis. Just gives you an idea how big the problem was. Now imagine, he says, imagine Jesus stepped in and took over Bank of America. The old CEO is gone. Jesus is there. He is now in charge. He is personally innocent. He wasn't there when the problems were caused. Yet no one in their right mind would go, well, the old CEO was the issue. Jesus is innocent. Let's just write off the debt. That would be a massive injustice. And actually, it would mean that any company that ever got into trouble would just go, well, sack that CEO, bring in a new one, problem solved, and they'd get away with anything. That's not the kind of world we want to live in. We want to live in a world where justice is done, where wrongs are put right. And so he says, actually, when a CEO moves into a company that is in trouble, though he may be personally innocent, he is saying, I am taking on board this debt that I didn't run up, but I take it on board on behalf of this body. I become their head. They are my body. Their debt becomes my debt. 
When Jesus steps into this world, he identifies himself with humanity and all our flawed mess, takes on our debt, undergoes the experience of death that we have brought about in this earth so he can rescue us. And Jesus says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And he's saying, actually, it's not just the case that Jesus, the new Adam, the new head, the new CEO, identifies himself with us. But in baptism, we identify ourselves with him and his death. We recognize our need. We say, Jesus, I trust you as my new head, my new Adam, my new CEO. I trust that you are able to rescue us. That's what it means to be baptized into the death of Jesus. But of course, that's only half the story. And a new CEO who comes in and says, I take this debt upon myself and then does nothing about it is really no good to anyone at all. But of course, the second half of the story is that Jesus didn't remain dead just as we don't remain under the water. Paul says, don't you know, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The second side of baptism is that we get raised into life. Coming out of the water speaks to that identification not only with the death of Jesus, but his resurrection as well. See, Jesus rose again from the dead. And in so doing, he showed that death is not the end. We do not have to be defined by our failures, by our brokenness, by our sin, the word the Bible use is, is. We don't have to be defined by death or decay or corruption. We can enjoy new life. Our sin is dealt with. Our debt is paid. It is removed. And God doesn't overlook the problem of death in the world. He doesn't overlook the part that we play in that. Rather, he takes it upon himself and deals within his death and resurrection. And so if we identify with that death and resurrection, we say, I recognize I have a need and I want to trust in you as my new head, the one who is uniquely able to pay that debt and raise me to new life. And Paul says this, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. If we identify ourselves with the death and the raising of Jesus, death similarly has little hold over us. We are restored into that life to the full for which God created us on day one. Now, this has eternal implications. It means that though, as Benjamin Franklin said, death is a certainty we must all face, we can know that death is not the end. Because just as Jesus was raised again from the dead in a new resurrection body, so too, read on in Romans chapter 8, it says that God is going to do the whole thing for all creation. He's going to restore all this world with no hint of death or decay in it. And we can have a place in that new creation. We will be raised up in new resurrection bodies to spend eternity with God in his new creation. But it also has implications for right now. Because the life to, life to the full that Jesus came to offer, for which we were created, is not something we have to wait to experience after death. It's something we can experience now. And Paul says that all of us who identify with Jesus' death and resurrection through the waters of baptism get to experience something of that freedom and life to the full right now. He says this, The death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master. When we follow Jesus, we find that there is a quality of life available that we cannot find anywhere else. And we get to change our story. We get to exchange our story with Jesus in the waters of baptism. His story becomes true of us. In the waters of baptism, we get to lay down all the things that have held us back, the unhealthy habits we've not been able to break, the guilt or the sense of shame that has weighed upon us that stopped us living a free, open, authentic life. We lay it all down in the waters of baptism and it's washed away. Our identity is changed. And as we come out of the waters, we pick up his new life and freedom, life to the full. We exchange our story for the story of Jesus in the waters of baptism. That doesn't mean that the Christian life becomes easy from that point. It doesn't mean that if you get baptized, you'll never have a challenge again. Believe me, I have had plenty of challenges. I've done plenty of things that are wrong. It doesn't mean that suddenly every habit gets broken in an instant, although many may. Actually, the Christian life of enjoying this life to the full, it takes work and time and effort, which is why Paul uses active language in this passage. He says, consider yourselves. Don't give your body to things that are unhealthy. Commit yourself to God. It's about work. It's about time. And incidentally, it often takes help from others as well. Baptism is a brilliant start. But part of the Christian life is that we enjoy this life to the full in community. And we've already heard about steps and a brilliant, brilliant testimony about how it's made the difference in one person's life. We could hear many more stories like that. If there are things in your life, whether you have been baptized or not baptized right now, if there are things in your life that you know I need help to break free from this, then go on steps. I'd highly recommend it. It's a great course that will take that promise of life to the full and help you to apply it on a day-in, day-out basis to your life. I'd highly, highly recommend it. Life in all its fullness is found through identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And baptism is a way of saying, I want that life. I need that life. And I know that it will only be found through his death and through his resurrection. And similarly, I want to be identified with that death my old life washed away, and I want the promise of new life as I emerge from the waters. I can't think of a better way of beginning the Christian life than through the act of baptism. It is such a powerful, meaningful, visual representation of the story of Jesus and the exchange of stories that takes place when we come to faith in him. So what does this mean for us, and how should we respond to this? Well, it may be that some of you here today are not Christians. You may be nowhere near being a Christian. That is totally fine. I'm just very glad that you're here. And I hope that you find this a helpful place to explore some of your questions. I hope you feel welcome here. It may be that today's talk has raised some more questions for you. It may be that it's helped you to see things a different way. My appeal to you is keep exploring this. If this feels like something you long for, even if you can't quite yet believe it's true, keep exploring. Keep asking your questions and stay here asking people your questions. Next week, actually, we're beginning a brand new sermon series, which I think you may find very helpful if you're in that position. We're calling it Encounters with Jesus. You see, we think that all of us have particular needs and longings and desires. There are desires that are universal to all of us. We all, believer or seeker alike, long for fulfillment and meaning and purpose, forgiveness, restoration. And people have always longed for these things. 
And we think that the Christian answer is that these needs can ultimately be fulfilled through encounters with Jesus. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John and some stories of people who had the very same longings we do and who found them met through Jesus Christ. It may well be worth you saying, I'm going to choose to keep coming to church for the next few weeks to see if this answers some of your questions. I hope it will. We also run a course called Alpha, which is a brilliant way of exploring questions about the Christian faith. Our current courses are actually just coming to a close very soon, but we'll be running new ones very soon. We're just trying to finalize all the details on that. If you would like a place where you can explore questions of faith, I'd highly recommend this course. Do go to the website christchurchlondon.org forward slash alpha and email in and we'd love to keep you up to date as, as information develops on our next course. I hope you find those helpful ways to explore your questions of faith. Or it may well be that actually you've been exploring faith for a while and you're ready to say, I think I do want to follow Jesus. I've just not done it yet. Maybe you've never prayed with someone. Maybe you've never had a moment where you've said, actually, I want to identify with his death and resurrection. Maybe you've been experiencing some of the benefits of faith and the power of God in your life, but you've never had a moment where you can look back to and say, yeah, at that moment I said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I identify with your death and resurrection. Baptism can be a really, really powerful way to do that. In fact, in the New Testament, I think baptism was not something people did a few years into the Christian walk. I think it's often something people did on day one. When they wanted to become a Christian, it seems that they did so through baptism. Now, that's not to say, to be clear, that baptism makes you a Christian. No, faith in Jesus' death and resurrection makes you a Christian. But baptism is such a powerful way of saying, I want in on that. It's such a powerful way of taking those promises and making their own that often in the New Testament, people do it day one. There's this great story in Acts chapter 8, where this guy is traveling in a chariot with Philip, who's one of the church leaders, early church leaders, and he's asking him these questions about Jesus' death and resurrection. And Philip answers them all, and the guy looks out the window, and he says, there's some water by the side of the road. Stop the chariot. He says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So they pull over, and they do it right there at the side of the water. We're not even told what kind of water it is, but I'm imagining it's a river or something like that. Now, I'm not saying that you should just dive in the first bit of water you find. I don't want to see you running out and throwing yourselves in the Thames at the end of the service. That would not be helpful. But I am saying this. In the book of Acts, people didn't have to wait years or pass a test or anything like that. It was a way of saying, I'm in. I recognize my need. Here's water. I'll do it now. If you know that there has never been a moment where you said, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. That can be a brilliant way of doing it. And so on the 14th of May, when we do baptisms here, I would love to see many, many people take that first step and saying, I'm in. I recognize my need. I'd love to get baptized. And if you would like to get baptized, then what we would ask is this. Come and speak to someone about it. I know you'll have questions. We'd love to answer those questions. Actually, Jenny Ellis, who um, was hosting the first part of the service, she coordinates baptism here. She'd love to talk to you, answer any questions you have, practical questions, questions about what it means. You can email her, jenny at christchurchlondon.org. Actually, she's here. Uh, you've seen her already. She'll be down the front of the service. There she is, waving. <laughs> um, She'll be here at the front of the service at the end. And you can come down, talk to her, ask your questions. We would love to help you begin this journey. But of course, as well as getting baptized on 14th of May, you can start your journey with Jesus today. And if you would like to, you don't have to say, well, I'm going to wait six weeks. Actually, we'd love to pray with you today. If you know there's never been a moment where you've said, I'm all in, but you want to, 
then come and pray with someone today. We'll have a prayer team down here or pray with a friend that you've come with or come and seek me. We would love to pray with you to help you begin your walk with Jesus. Or perhaps you are a Christian and you've been a Christian maybe for years, but you've never been baptized. My encouragement is get baptized. Get baptized. And I'd encourage you that for a few reasons. Firstly, it's something that Jesus told us to do. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then I think part of what it means to follow him is that we are obedient to the things he asks of us. Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you until the end of the age. My question is this. If Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, seems to think it's a good idea for us to get baptized, all who want to follow him, then who are we to question that? I think it's important that we get baptized as a step of obedience. I'm keen that every follower of Jesus is baptized, not only because of obedience, but also because of the huge benefit it makes to us. Actually, I think that baptism is a really powerful thing to do. I know there will be many people around here, myself included, who could tell you stories about how baptism made a huge difference to our Christian lives. Jesus himself got baptized. And in one sense, his baptism is entirely different to ours. I mean, he had no issues to confess, no need to get baptized in that sense. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist even tries to stop him getting baptized. He says, look, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? But I think the reason, part of the reason Jesus got baptized was to set an example for us. And do you know what happened when Jesus got baptized? It was an incredibly powerful, beautiful moment that kick-started his ministry. As he came up out of the water, it says this, At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is a turning point for Jesus, the kickstart of his ministry, a moment that empowered him in incredible ways. And for many people, myself included, I know that baptism was a moment where I felt more loved and accepted by my heavenly father than I ever had before. And I experienced the Holy Spirit begin to empower me and use me in wonderful ways. I think that's the reason that Jesus tells his disciples to baptize others in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because when we go through baptism, we don't only get identified with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We actually get brought into the work of the whole Trinity. The Father saying, I love you. You're my child. The Spirit empowering and equipping us for ministry. When we surrender ourselves to God like this, he fills us with his Spirit and uses us in incredible ways. Maybe the band can come back up. In a moment, we're going to worship. And we're going to sing a song that reflects on the death and resurrection of Jesus and the incredible difference that makes to our lives and celebrate. We're going to celebrate the freedom that he comes to bring. And I know today's sermon has been slightly different to some others. We'll get back to a proper series next week. But it may well be that right now, you know, actually, there are things I need to do to do with baptism. Maybe you've never considered it and you would like to talk to someone about it. Do that today. Maybe you know, actually, I do need to get baptized. Or maybe you know, I need to draw a line in the sand today and pray with someone. You are more than welcome to do that. We'll have a prayer team who would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Come and speak to any of us or pray with a friend today.
Or it may be that you have been baptised before, but you feel like as you read that Romans 6 passage, I'm not quite living in the good of all those promises. Why don't you today surrender yourself to God again and say, I want to consider myself dead to my old life and alive in you. Ask God to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit and use you in credible ways. And if we can help you again, we would love to pray with you at the end of the service. And my encouragement is take a step today. You'll have weeks to think about this, so you can keep thinking about it if you'd like. But I know if I, I, if I were in your position, I'd probably think, I need to do something about that, and then go away and then forget in the busyness of the week. Why not take a step today? Speak to Jen, come and receive prayer, do whatever you need to move forward in your relationship with God. But why don't we stand? I'd love to pray with us before we worship. <coughs> <coughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our Lord and Saviour. Thank you that you are our head, the new Adam, the sinless one, who identified yourself with us, even in our death, to restore us to that life to the full for which you created us. We thank you for your death and resurrection, reenacted in that powerful ritual of baptism. I want to ask for all today who are considering following you that they would find courage and strength to take that first step. I want to pray that we would all experience and enjoy that freedom, forgiveness and promise of eternal life that you come to offer. I pray for those of us who have been baptised that we would be living in the good of the promises we have made to you and the promises you have made to us. I pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit today with that sense of the love and acceptance of our Father. And would you empower us to live for you and to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.